Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. I'm your host, Kat Cloco, and tonight I have with me Christina Wall and Jen Kohler, and a very great guest a little bit later on in the show, James A. Willis, paranormal author from Ohio Extraordinaire. So we have that fun interview. Of course, you can catch up to us on Twitter at SinCabinetCurio and on Instagram at CincyCabinetOfCuriosities and also CincyCuriosities at gmail.com. We're also an official podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud now, so please like, subscribe, and rate it so other people who love spooky things just like you can find us. So, Christina, you had something you wanted to share with Thanksgiving in mind. Yes, um, and because we have a long interview today, we're not getting to do quite as many weird things as usual. But don't worry, we'll make up for it next week. Hmm. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting, um, you know, a lot of things with Thanksgiving tend to be a little bit fraught, you know, with, you know, history is always sort of glossed over. Uh, and, and so I, I thought this was a really interesting way that kind of segues into what we talk about in um, a lot of Native Americans up in, and this, I, this person I think is up in Michigan, they do a ghost supper, which is a different form of Thanksgiving for Native peoples. And the quote says, one major difference, uh, I was taught that the barrier between the living and the spirit world is weaker during the season. We take advantage of this so the entire extended family can eat together. Um, the more I grew, the more families we went and we participated in more host ghost suppers. It became a perpetual event that would be celebrated over the course of late October through early December. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, idea to celebrate uh, both indigenous culture and to um, be aware of this thinner veil during the holiday season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is really good. And I'll have That's a link nice. to the whole article in the, um, I'll have a link to the whole article in the show notes. And yeah. we'll have links to all the books and stuff. Did anyone else have anything to say about Thanksgiving kind of ghosty stuff? Um, well, I have a doozy of a story that has to do with Thanksgiving, but we can share it next week. Other than the weird thing found in Utah. But that, Jen, that was yours. Do you want me to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. Okay, this weird monolith just appeared in the Utah desert. While the Utah State Police were, or Highway Patrol were out looking to uh, count bighorn sheep in the southeastern part of the state. And they came across this item that was found buried in the middle of nowhere. And the Utah Highway Patrol asking uh, the public what they think it is. One person suggested it fell off the, U the UFO we've been seeing in Ogden lately. <laughs> Whoa. That's but a casual thing to drop. Oh, right? I think it was the UFO dropped it, of course. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how much sarcasm out. was used with that one. <laughs> uh, while no alien craft have, have been officially seen in the area, nothing can be ruled out. Most likely it's just a piece of sheet metal placed in the ground as a prank or hoax. However, if you get close enough and hear someone say, open the pod bay doors, Hal, you better run. <laughs> <laughs> Officials won't announce the exact location of the object as it's in a very remote area. And if individuals were to attempt to visit the area, there is a significant possibility they may become stranded and require uh, rescue. Oh, 
So, but it looks like the monolith from 2001 Space Odyssey, but it's silver metal, not black. Mm-hmm. And it's literally standing straight up out of the ground. I wonder if it's an art installation by somebody. It almost that looked like one. And I don't yeah. know if we can share the photo or not. We can put a link in the show notes a, so people can yeah. look at it yeah. um, and, and judge for themselves. It does look like, like somebody's senior project in an art class, you know, yeah. sort of a, you know, making a monolith, yeah. you know, circa 2001. Well, and I think it's very kind of in right now to like kind of hydra artwork so people can just happen upon it. That's true. That's true. Because you have those, those, what are those art drops where people will just drop art anywhere for people to, to pick up. Um, It's, it's an interesting movement. I don't totally understand it, but maybe because I were, I probably couldn't just drop a piece of art somewhere. No. Well, those tend also tend to be a lot smaller. Yes. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it also reminds me of geocaching almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a lot kind of, of like that. A treasure hunt or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I'm surprised there aren't more things like that for spooky cryptid things already or even alien UFO. It's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. So but don't go looking for it because you'll get stranded and don't get stranded in the desert. It's not good. Mm. Um, but yeah, in Death Valley, remember people were getting. Like, there's all these old, like, I guess, trails and stuff in Death Valley that GPSs were catching up, you know, were using as their maps. I assume it's much better now. And people would run out of gas and be driven in. Remember early GPS, how bad it was, and you would be driving around in circles and stuff? Well, that's okay, like, if you're in Ohio, but if you're in Death Valley, people were running out of gas. Oh, no. You know, it would be running them on some crazy trail that... (laughs) didn't go somewhere making them do circles or whatever no, um, no. yeah that's not good gps's were invented by the devil hello everyone it's cat cloco here and with us tonight we have a fantastic guest that i am super jazzed decided to join us on the show and accepted our invitation and this is my friend james a willis a very famous Paranormal writer and author in Ohio. Hi, James. Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm happy that you're here. So I'm going to read a very short bio for all of our wonderful listeners and our viewers on YouTube. Uh, What makes your work stand out over everyone else's in Ohio? So James was fueled by a steady childhood diet of blueberry cereal, creepy magazine, and the late night Vincent Price movies. James soon developed a taste for the unexpected, unexplained and quirky and quickly began seeking out all things strange and spooky. He is the co-author of Weird Ohio, which is how I first know you, uh, Weird Indiana, and also is a contributing author to Weird US, Weird Hauntings, and Weird US 2, The Odyssey. (laughs) (laughs) The Odyssey continues. Uh, Let's see, where am I? And Weird Encounters. James' unique and offbeat writing style officially recognized, was officially recognized in 2006 with his induction to the Grand Order of Weird Writers. In addition, James has been a contributing author to several books in Ar- the Armchair Reader series, including Weird and Scary and Unusual, Armchair Reader Goes to Hollywood, The Haunted America, and in 2012, James struck out on his own with the publication of Haunted Indiana. For the 2013s, the big book of 
yeah, the big book of Ohio ghost stories. Uh, you crisscrossed Ohio to bring readers to over 75 of the Buckeye State's most famous and infamous ghosts. And you also wrote Ohio's historic haunts investigating the paranormal in the Buckeye State with a joint effort with Kent State University Press. And released in late 2015, the book approached hauntings and ghost stories from historical perspectives and chronicled James's personal experiences when <laughs> locked inside some of Ohio's most haunted locations. You are also the founder of Ghosts of Ohio Paranormal Investigation and Research Team, as well as a good friend to the Cincinnati Cabinet <laughs> of Curiosities Comics Anthology. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow, do you need a drink of water after that? That was... I, I slightly may lot. need that. That was Yeah, that was a lot. There. And that's, that's the abridged biography, everyone. <laughs> I stumbled over a few parts, but that's just because I'm so excited because whenever we're at paranormal conferences, we just geek out over all paranormal things happening here in Ohio. <laughs> we have so much strange stuff. We do. We do. Um, as, as you mentioned, I, I've worked with a couple of the different uh states for the weird u.s series of books and i keep coming back to even though i wasn't born in ohio ohio is really really weird and i think what is really cool about ohio and the buckeye state is that we're proud to be weird uh, some of the other states that i did they were kind of really reluctant to sort of embrace their weirdness and so a lot of the stories they didn't want to share. That's no, not the case in Ohio. I would be out when I was doing Weird Ohio and taking pictures or doing research and somebody would come up and say, well, what, what are you doing? And I would say, well, it's for a book, Weird Ohio. And they would say, well, if you think this is weird, you need to check this out. A lot of times it was relatives of theirs that I was like, no, it's not the kind of weird I'm comfortable with. But, but yeah, it's uh, Ohioans are very, very proud to be weird. So yeah, it, it's a great place to be. Yeah, it's, um, I'm from Indiana, and people in the Hoosier State don't share stories. It depends on where. I'm from northern Indiana, so they're a little bit more reluctant to share the ghost stories. But if you go to southern Indiana, they're just like, yes, let me tell you about all the Wolfman sightings we've seen yeah. down this one street or this one stretch of land. And it's, it's fun talking to them. Um, I know, actually... Our first encounter with the Ohio mermaids in the Ohio River <laughs> was from Weird Ohio. That's how I knew of the story. And Jay Kagayan, I'm sorry, Jay, and Dylan, they wrote, um, he has a, just like me, he has a tricky last name. Um, they wrote the Ohio River mermaids. Now we dropped the mud portion of that, but we still retold the story of the mermaids being witnessed swimming through the Ohio River outside of VV, Indiana. Yep. And we got that story from Weird Ohio. There you Thanks go. Thanks <laughs> to you. <laughs> How did you find that story? When, way back when, and it's funny because I look back and I'm like, wow, that was like in 2004. Um, what the stories in general, they started off with, we kind of had a short lift list that Mark and Mark, the two weird marks from weird new jersey who were actually were producing the books they had kind of set us off on this path with a set list of stories it was sort of a short list but then what would normally happen is as we i was doing research i would all of a sudden stumble across these other weird things and it would sort of go on and on i mean the the mermaid story i'm trying to think back but i think 
where I had started was with the, this is interesting, there's all sort of weird connections here because it was uh, one of my favorite um, Ohio cryptids is the Loveland Frog, yes. which, which if you remember, you actually helped me translate the Japanese of a little Loveland Frog figure that I had found. Yes. But um, when I was doing research for that, for Weird Ohio, for the Loveland Frog story, something that has always intrigued me about that is that most people will focus on the 1972 sightings of the Loveland Frog. And then some will slip in, they'll go back to 1955, where there's a gentleman by the name of Honeycutt, who had a sighting, and they will actually say that that was the Loveland Frog. What was fascinating to me about that is that if you read the reports that Honeycutt um, he was actually interviewed by somebody and they took down all the information. What he describes is not the same thing as a Loveland frog. He mm -hmm. reported seeing three, I think there were three, there were several, and they were crouched underneath a bridge. And then one of them held up this blue rod that they said, he said sparks flew out of. Well, that to me isn't anything that people have reported with the sightings of the Loveland Frog. So I was like, well, that's interesting because that's a totally different cryptid. So mm -hmm. I started down that path and then found out that right around this time that Honeycutt had his sighting in 1955, there were similar creatures that were sighted in Hopkinsville slash Kelly, yes. Kentucky, the goblins. So I was like, well, wait, okay. So now I'm off on this tangent and I'm looking at things in Kentucky and I'm no longer looking for frogs. I'm looking for, <laughs> some people were calling them trolls. Other people were calling them goblins. And then on top of that, all of a sudden it got mashed together because I was following the little Miami river around because that's where the Loveland frog was sighted and trying to see if there were other sightings in that area. And eventually I stumbled across in Indiana, uh, the beast of Busco, which somebody believe is actually just a giant snapping turtle. Yeah. But again, it was like, wait, okay, here's another creature sighting. And then lo and behold, start tracing that back and mermaids pop up. Mm -hmm. So it, it, so that was a very long <laughs> twisted tale, but it's, that's how most of everything that I write is, is that you start to with one item and then all of a sudden you start building all these other things which pop out and a lot of them become urban legends and they fall by the wayside. But to me, an urban legend or a folktale is just as important as a quote unquote true ghost story in that they all kind of merge together. And I think they're all a significant part of Ohio history. Even if you can't prove these things are real, enough people have talked about it or experienced it that they do become part of our weird history. Yeah. And do you bring up a good point? It I did not dawn on me that the first Loveland Frogman sighting really is jives with Kelly uh, Hopkinsville. Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't think about that, but when you said 1955, I was like, wait a minute, that's a famous encounter. And you're right. The original report I was, when I was reading through them for reviewing them for Jay and Dylan, I remember seeing that original 55 report and going, well, this doesn't sound the same thing. This actually sounds like an alien encounter almost and not and it's not really close to right pad at all but i know they do see strange things along the little miami river sure yeah yeah so i i thought i would mention that i also in that 
except for the armchair series in that intro, I own every one of those books. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was only able to pull out two of them because the rest of them were in a um, bookshelf in my storage area. Not that I'm storing you away. It's <laughs> That's just, fine. <laughs> I was rearranging my studio a little while ago. But the other thing I find really interesting, and I think Jen was the one who pointed this one out, is you're doing the Crybaby Bridge project. Yes. Is that project still alive? It is still alive. It's, um, that is truly a labor of love for me because I, um, I was born and raised in upstate New York. And there was, I think that's what really made me weird is because in the Hudson Valley, there is just, you've got the headless horseman, you've got a lot of UFO sightings that took place in the eighties. They've got all sorts of monsters running around there. So I was always chasing after weird things just because of the area I grew up in. And there was what I thought was the crybaby bridge. I only knew of one in New York state at the time. And this is dating myself, but this was back in like the early eighties, but there was only one bridge. And I was uh, naive and arrogant enough to think there was only one out there and that I found it. And I went to uh, college in Atlanta and when I moved down there, just happened to come up a conversation that I like chasing after weird things. And somebody said, well, you got to go check out the Crybaby Bridge. And I'm like, well, that's in New York. And they were like, no, <laughs> the real one is here. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then when I moved to Ohio, I found out that there were several more. And I'm like, no, this isn't true. This isn't true. The, the real one is in New York. And when I was doing Weird Ohio, I decided to try to sort of chronicle all of the different crybaby bridges. And I think there were 13 then. So back in 2004, that's all there was. And I got more emails about those when people were like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's those 13, none of them are right. The real one is here. So I decided where is the real one? You know, and, and so I decided I, I started the Ohio crybaby bridge project, which is, an attempt to basically have this sort of storehouse, if you will, of information about every crybaby bridge that is supposedly in existence in Ohio. I had to actually broaden it because originally the earliest version I heard was that it was an actual bridge and it went over water hmm. and that the mother accidentally dropped the child off the bridge and it drowned. Um, the, that story, because good old urban legends never die, they just mutate every couple of years. Yeah. There's on the Ohio Crybaby Bridge Project, I have uh, Crybaby Tunnels, there's a Crybaby Hill, um, there are overpasses, there are train tracks, there's basically anything high enough that if you threw or dropped a baby off of could potentially kill it. <laughs> Those are actually on there. And, and to yeah. me, the, what became the, the sort of weird historian was trying to find out what is bridge zero in Ohio? Where did all of these start from? And I've, I haven't found that yet. Mm -hmm. um, I have yet to find the, any bridge, but specifically any bridge in Ohio where there is a confirmed death of a child or the our mother with a child or anything like that. I have found bridges where there have been murders. 
mm-hmm. of adults. Um, there have been uh, one instance that I can think of where a body had been dumped near the bridge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a fascinating thing. And what I love about it is it's all up on my website and people go in there and then they actually tell their versions to me. And I put those up there because what I'm doing sort of behind the scenes is I'm tracing each of these legends back to try to find out, like when people write to me, I'm like, well, do you know how old you were when you first heard the story? And what was the story as you know it? Because as I said, these things change. Um, if you look up any of the bridges that are in the, the, the database, there's multiple variations. Um, mm-hmm. A few years ago, um, doing what I call the rituals at the bridges became all the thing. It used to be you just went to the bridge at a certain time. It was usually Halloween and a certain, you know, Halloween midnight kind of thing. And then you had to honk your horn three times or flash your lights three times. Now they have all sorts of bizarre things you have to do where one, which I don't understand why anybody would do this, but you're supposed to leave the car running, lock the keys in the car and then walk away. And when you come back, the car will be turned off. Yeah, I I don't understand. I I think there was probably some adult beverages possibly involved in that variation, but- I'm still surprised um, they have their car. Yeah, exactly. And and did it, is the car not running because the battery died or, you know, it's- it's just a strange thing, um, but I love it because it. I can usually tell when these stories have started based on classic urban legends being inserted into it because you normally in the 70s, if the story originated in the 70s, it's usually got a serial killer in there, yep. you, know, but, you know, and in the 80s, it's usually a satanic cult that's lurking nearby. Yep. So, so to me, I love those little things. You know, most people are like, you're just weird. And I'm like, well, thanks. You know, because really <laughs> indicates, sorry, just jumping on that. No, you're fine. It really indicates what the culture at large was afraid of at the time so in the 70s you had bundy and a whole bunch of serial killers running amok around the united states and other parts of the world and then in the 80s and early 90s we had the satanic panic and child snatching yeah so that's why i love urban legends and why it's actually important to document everyone's encounters like this Mm -hmm. um basically the crybaby bridge project is just a dream to anybody who is an anthropology or folklore major because you're doing so much field research by just collecting all these personal experiences yeah and and and, and it's fun to do it i mean it's it's a lot of people look at it and they're like no what's the point of all this and i'm like it's our history You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've met so many people that are just like, well, I knew that story and I went out there and nothing happened, but I I will never forget when I went out there and we all got scared and there was nothing there, but it was part of their history, you know? So it's, it's something I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. That's why we have this very weird podcast going on. (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite Ohio ghost story, urban legend, or creepy creature? Wow. I can only pick one. Okay, well, if you can quickly go through all of them. <laughs> well, definitely the Loveland Frog in terms of like cryptids. Um, I, when it comes to sort of extraterrestrials, you're obviously it's, it's Wright Pat. And the mm-hmm. whole idea that if anything fell out of the sky, it made its way to Wright Pat. So the whole connection with Roswell and any other famous UFO crashes. Um, I'm fascinated with that. In terms of 
my favorite ghost story. I, I mean, I, I jump all over. I sort of like, I've got like a top five and then one will jump up to the front and I'll obsess over it forever. But I guess the one that I think probably is the most endearing to me is um, again, growing up with the headless horseman. When I moved to Ohio, I found, and I don't know why, but there is an overabundance of headless motorcycle ghosts. Yes. So um, I think the one down in Oxford um, is probably one that, it's definitely my top two because Mm -hmm. um, for a number of reasons, again, because I've kind of upgraded from headless horsemen to headless motorcycle guys. Um, My wife is from Oxford, Ohio. Her parents still live down there. And that also means that each time, you know, when there was an old normal as opposed to a new normal, we would visit each other. Um, I would go down there with my wife and now my daughter, and we would try to see the light from the headless motorcycle and mm-hmm. we did see it oh, numerous, wow. numerous times we um sadly there was a time when i could actually give presentations in public and i yes. would um i would bring video of it and i would tell people i'm just going to explain where we were what we were doing and now you guys take this story and you find out for yourself what's going on and i would give them directions tell them what they do and not to do and it was just a way to share stories, but yeah, you, you do see a light on the road that I can't explain. Yeah. It, it's, I've seen the footage cause I've seen a few of your talks. It's very, very spooky. So now we're going to bring on Christina and Jen to ask a few questions before our time is up. Cool. And there they are. Yeah. And there they are. <laughs> Hello ladies. Hi. <laughs> Yeah, I was absolutely fascinated by the bridge story and because we were talking about the ubiquitousness, if that's a word, of, of certain stories. And if you found that in your research, like when I did the Satan's Hollow story <laughs> in the comic and, and we found a very similar story in New Jersey, only it was much bigger drain. And is that like a typical uh, sort of tale that you see? Like are a lot of these urban legends you know, typical? I think for the most part, yes, they are. Um, but Ohio, as I said, it's, they're a very weird state and they're proud of it. So when it comes to those sort of urban legends, I found that Ohioans are more likely to actually take a good urban legend and run with it and make it their own. So you're exactly right. The, the Satan's Hollow is, is quite similar to other stories, notably in New Jersey, which has, I think they call there's the gates of hell. Well, there's also a gates of hell, supposedly in uh, Clintonville, outside of Columbus in Ohio that I, I may or may not have visited. um, (laughs) That I is incredibly similar in um, construction as to Satan's hollow, which I may or may not have visited. Um, So I, but Taking all that into consideration specifically with that, I have found, and it's why I love Ohio, they have an overabundance of headless motorcycle ghosts and hell type places, you know, and, you know, you could insert the private joke there if you'd like, but, (laughs) um, but, but to me, it's fascinating that there is, there are a lot of when you look at the idea of the gates of hell, you know, most people will say that there's supposedly, I think seven of them and they're throughout the world. Well, there's three in Ohio. 
So what does that tell you about Ohio? I think it says a lot about the people in Ohio in that they love those kind of stories, you know, and it's it's the basic cautionary tale sort of thing. It's like, don't go in there. And then Ohioans are like, I'm going to go, you know, and so they couldn't just have one gate of hell. You know, they had to have three of them. There couldn't be one Saints Hall. I think there's actually a second one. And it might be called something different. There's one up outside of Cleveland as well. I was and they're just all thinking, drainage things. The thing that was rolling through my head when you said that was, don't mess with Ohioans. We'll summon Satan. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, it's, and I tried to look at it from the sort of religious aspect because I was like, is there something in there because of how Ohioans in general are their religious beliefs bringing up these stories? But when I looked at in Indiana, why they had a couple, they were nowhere near what they had. Mm-mm. in Ohio. Now there was a, and I, his name escapes me, but during that whole satanic panic, there was an expert who he made the rounds on Geraldo and all these things. And he oh, was, yeah, he would testify at numerous crimes and he was still around because I think he was actually the cult expert for the, uh, uh, the prosecutor for the West Memphis three. Um, Griffith, I think his last name is, he was from Ohio. And so you're like, okay, is him being there and being the expert, did that give rise to all of these other stories and cause them to spread? So again, it's, it's weird research to do, but it's something that I just love to do. But, but to answer your question in general, yeah, I found a lot of the most common urban legends do have a home in Ohio. They've just mutated. Um, there are very few hookman stories, which is sort of interesting because I think there's maybe two or three that I know of in Ohio, but that's all over the place, which if you really wanted to fall down the rabbit hole, um, going back to the crybaby bridge stories, I thought that was a New York thing. Then I found out it was a Georgia thing and it's really an Ohio thing. I think there's 40 of them. There's not one in every state. And so it's like, well, what, what's the criteria there? Cause really all you need is a bridge in the middle of nowhere. And you make up a story about why a woman is up on a bridge, or you just say the woman was up on a bridge with her baby. So you don't need a lot of, you know, unique terrain, but there are some States where I have not found a single crybaby anything story. So again, those are the things that thankfully keep me up at night. You know, it's always a, <laughs> And I don't know, I, I'm sorry, I missed like the first five minutes of the, the interview that you did, Kat, because I was looking for my phone so I could time this. <laughs> but um, but uh, you were, did you ask, uh, what are you working on now? Did you... Yeah, I did not ask that. Okay, so just... okay, so what are you working on now? You had started to tell us before we started recording. Yeah, and... there's there's actually two books that I'm working on right now. And the really neat thing is for the first time since 2000 and three i'm just sort of writing for me because usually the publishers and i I always felt bad when people came up and they were like well how do you get a book published what do you do and i was like i don't know because the publishers were coming to me and it was something that i i felt truly blessed about but i always felt like people like yeah you know you just don't want to tell me but um (laughs) this was the first time where i basically said you know i i want to write something what I want to write about. And so 
one of them is something rather similar to Ohio's historic haunts, which is where I took um, haunted historic locations and really dug up the, no pun intended, but the history of it and then spent the night locked in the building. Um, mm-hmm. There's that. And then there was another one, which I don't want to jinx it. So I don't want to give too much away, but it is basically a, it's something I think was missing from the paranormal field in general. Um, because I've, I, I, I found that over the years, um, the paranormal is very polarizing and that you've got is that people either totally believe in everything or they don't believe in any of it. And I try to go down the middle because I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that we have all the answers. If, if for no other reason that I, I don't want that to be true because then life would be incredibly boring. But, you know, I, I go out at night, you know, and, and just look up at the stars and I'm like, there's stuff out there. There has to be, you know, so I, I want to believe that there are other things out there, but the flip side of that is the skeptics don't want to have anything to do with me because they're like, well, you believe in that stuff. And I'm like, no, I just believe we don't have the answers yet. The flip side is when I try to tell people, not every ghost story is true. Not everything you hear in the woods is Bigfoot. Um, I, I, I get disinvited to paranormal conventions, you know, but, but to me, I like to walk that middle thing because like I said, we don't have all the answers, but I can't, expect people to take me serious in this field unless I'm willing to admit, and I do, that there's a lot of BS in this field. There's a lot of wishful thinking, you know, and and I think that's what gets this field in trouble. So I have sort of created this thing that I don't want to jinx yet, but I think it is fairly unique that I think both skeptics and believers in the paranormal can come together, hopefully over this, and look at it and go, okay, I don't believe in this stuff, but I can see where you guys are coming from. And the flip side say, saying, I can see why you think we're all crazy, but I can see why also why some of this stuff can't be explained. So it's, it's something I put a lot of thought into, and I think it will kind of have its own place there because it's, it's bizarre when, you know, I, I see these things and thankfully I just step aside and let people fight amongst themselves. But it's weird when you hear people just like arguing and yelling at each other and stuff. And you're like, you guys realize you're yelling about Bigfoot, right? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, it's very strange when you hear those arguments going on. Yes. It seems like that's sort of like where argument has gone. Like it's sort of all, and that could be a whole separate discussion on, you know, how, things have become all it's sort of contradiction rather than a real argument or when yes. you, you talk about facts and evidence and stuff i mean it, it seems like that is a problem in all life now it's all or nothing which is, yes. is crazy that's yep. not really how the world works no no but when that project gets complete please come back onto the show james oh i would love to we don't have to wait for that this is a blast <laughs> well, i mean yay i Jen, like to spin you- a yarn or two so you just <laughs> let me know and i'll be here <laughs> Woo. jen did you have any questions yeah and a question going back to what you said about how things can be polarizing is there like a haunted a well-known haunted house or well-known ghost story that you kind of proven or think you think isn't true but everybody else believes it to be absolutely true 
That's a great question. Um, I don't know if I've ever disproven anything. I'm, I'm a firm believer in um, when people say, well, I went on, I, I investigated that building. Oh, what did you do? Well, I, you know, we went there for about six hours and I had some pizza and then I went home and to me, and I'm like, well, why did you go there at that particular time? Well, that was when the tour was. That to mm -hmm. me, isn't really an investigation. It's a ghost hunt kind of, but mm -hmm. I, I'm a firm believer in just because I go there for say one night and nothing happens. I always say it just means the ghostly fish weren't biting that particular, it doesn't mean it's not haunted. Um, and so a lot of our private investigations are usually four, five, six visits to oh, a location wow. before we form any sort of opinion. So I don't know if I've ever totally disproven anything. I know that there are a lot of um, sort of the public places that, that they go to that actually make money off of uh, the ghost hunts, which is, it's a good thing because a lot of that money goes back into preserving the building. But mm -hmm. I, I have over the years, I'm trying to be politically correct here. I, I've sort of, I think some of those stories and a lot of those buildings tend to get a bit exaggerated um, mm -hmm. and not necessarily by the people, the owners, if you will, um, but very often by the people who go in there, which if you think about it, and it's something that I've, I've tried to research, if in my mind, if you are going to spend the night in a haunted, I don't know, an asylum, let's just say, and you're paying $150 and you're going into a building that is supposedly the most haunted place on earth and you paid $150, in my mind, you're kind of predisposed for having a whole lot of experiences. If for no other reason that your mind might play tricks on you because in the back of your mind, you're saying, this mm -hmm. is what happened in this spot. Or the fact that you're saying, I just spent $150. I better see something. Jen had a wonderful question, which was the most oh. fearsome thing you had found on investigation. Um, and that's probably the Waverly story, but I don't know if, if you've heard that already, Kat, and it's, I should pick a new one. You can, you can tell that one. Cause I am sure Christina and Jen have not heard it yet. And I've okay. been to Waverly. So I'm yes. interested. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, yeah, the, the, the Waverly story is one that when it initially happened, I wasn't scared and anything which sounds really bizarre when I tell this story but it wasn't until about a year later when somebody at a presentation asked me what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you and I told this story and as I was telling it I'm thinking this is really scary and for the longest time I couldn't sleep but this story was just frightening to me. I, I've gotten over that now, but I, I tell everybody when I tell the story to explain it because I can't explain it. And I want people to explain it to me because it would help me sleep better at night. So um, before to, we start, Christina, how much time do we have? Okay. Um, I'm going to set it for 15 minutes. Okay. And, we got 15 um, minutes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's plenty of time. So I, um, I was at Waverly Hills with, with a group. We had actually kind of bought the building out for the evening. So it was just us. 
it was our first time there. And so what we did is we got a tour. And as we were going on the tour, I traditionally ask, where should I go and what should I do if I want the best chance of experiencing something? So at that point in time, and this is going back over a decade, um, they said, well, where you should go is up to the fourth floor. And they said, the fourth floor is home to a couple of things. A lot of people report seeing doppelgangers there or someone's double when they're up there. They also said that the fourth floor is where the, the creeper lives. And they described the creeper as being a all, I, I see the eyes getting big here. Um, I should have warned you when the nightmare fuel is coming and it's coming right now. Um, the creeper was a like a, a black shadow figure, but it looked like a person and it crawled on its hands and knees on the ceiling. And so mm-hmm. I said, well, what <laughs> I should have warned you, I told you. Um, I said, well, you know, how do you, what do you have to do to see the creeper? And they said, what you should do is you get one person and they go to one end of the hallway and the rest of the group goes to the opposite end of the hallway and you face each other and you turn off all the lights. And then the creeper will come creeping up behind the one person. So uh, that was when I made the now infamous statement, well, I'll be the bait because again, you know, that's what I want. I want something to happen. So we went up to the fourth floor and the fourth floor is nothing but patient rooms, but the doors are gone. So it's just doorways on the left and right going all the way down the hallway. And I had three other people with me. There were two guys and a girl and they went to one end of the hallway. I went to the other and we turned and we faced each other. And then We turned off all our lights and what I did is I had an infrared video camera with me and I put it down on the floor, like between my legs facing them. And then I stood up and I I always wear a headlamp, but because it's like the gremlins when you do an investigation with me, I always turn it on and blind everybody, you know, bright light, bright light. So I always tilt it down. So it, it just illuminates in front of me. So put the camera down, stood up, turned off the headlamp and then just crossed my arms and just stood there in the dark facing them. So I guess 20 minutes or so passed. I don't hear anything. I don't see anything, feel anything. Absolutely nothing is going on. And then I hear one of the people in the group of three say, where did he go? And another person in the group says, I think he went in that room over there. And then I heard them go, Jim. And I said, yeah. And then I hear them say the G rated version. Oh no, that wasn't him. So um, after we regrouped, one of the guides and one of the girls told the same exact story of what they had seen. So they, two independent people standing next to each other saw this happen. The other guy said he didn't see anything, but he left the group shortly thereafter and were not in contact with him anymore. Um, But what they claim they saw is after watching the shadow of me doing nothing for about 20 minutes, I turned on my headlamp, illuminated my entire body. I bent down, I picked up the camera and I walked into the room to my left. I never moved. I never moved. And the, the scary thing is that I said, well, wh- well, how did I come back? 
And what they said, and it made sense, is that they thought, even though we're supposed to announce when we're leaving, they thought I had just gotten bored and walked into the other room because they said it, it was me and I left an empty hallway behind. So when they said, where did he go? I think he went in that room in there. Their eyes went from the middle of the hallway off to the right-hand side where they thought that I, and when they called out to me, they were expecting me to call back and just say, yeah, I'm in here, I'm bored or what have you. But when they heard me call back from the, say, yeah, from the middle of the hallway, they looked back and I was there. But they both said, I walked out of that hallway and I never moved. I, I don't know what that is. I, I can only tell you it's paranormal because it ain't normal. <laughs> but it was it a ghost? Was it a time slip? What, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I only know that I didn't feel anything. Any, nothing. Nothing. At all. There was no missing time. There was there was nothing. Mm. Um, and like I said, when it happened, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But then when I retold it, I was like, wait, where did where did I go? You know, the only thing that people have come up with that makes sense in a weird kind of way is that the ghost or whatever was doing something to them, was making them, or that perhaps there was like a, some sort of shield, or I don't know, or some sort of barrier that went up between us. Now, where that kind of falls apart is they said they saw me leave and leave an empty hallway. So they physically saw me walk away. All lit up and carrying no, a camera yes yeah now the video camera that i had does not you hear the exchange of us talking back and forth but that camera doesn't move until i pick it up afterwards right this so it was kind of like an illusion on their part projected by whatever it was that was doing it mm-hmm. yeah and and that is what led to what i call my two bottle conversations because you need two bottles of a good wine or yes. other spirit to really kind of dig into this because I, I don't know what it is. And I think that's what is intrigued me the most because it, I don't, I can't even say it happened to me, but I was right. clearly there. And the fact that two people saw the same exact thing, but that event did not happen is mm -hmm. it's just it's weird. <laughs> yeah, you were a participant in this phenomena, even though it didn't happen to you. Yeah. Um, the thing that it reminds me of, and I know um, you ladies are probably going to sigh and look at this guy. It sounds like the Saddamsville rectory issue we had, um, or I had. So a number of years ago, I saw a doppelganger and lived the tale of the tale, but it was something very similar, but in broad it wasn't broad daylight, but we had all the lights on in the building. And basically to cut the story really super short, um, we had actually finished the investigation. It was a true two night investigation. There was only five of us in the building and it was four women and one man. And we were just kind of um, shooting the breeze at the end, kind of winding down after what already had been eventful, there we go, night. And one of the ladies, she was wearing one of those ghost hunting vests, you know, that you see sometimes it looks like yeah. a fishing vest and they can uh -huh. just put all their pockets, put all the stuff in the pockets. She was addressing one of the other ladies in the group and I'm watching them while speaking to the gentleman of part of our party. 
And as I'm watching the woman wearing the fishing vest, she comes back towards us in the room, leaving our friend in the hallway. And then a double of her just swoops in from the darkened portion of the hallway. We can't see her face. We don't see her arms. She keeps them crouched up towards her chest or her hands are towards her chest. And she actually had a conversation with our friend in the hallway. And she had no idea it was a double until her husband goes, hey, and she looks up. And as she looks up, this double just skitters back down the hallway and disappears. Wow. So your recount of your story sounds a lot like the one that I experienced, even though I actually was just also just a participant observer of it. But uh, it's it's freaky. We call it a doppelganger. We just, that's what we've labeled it as, but so because it was a the point of them. Like, why do they do these things? <laughs> that as a doppelganger? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, we, <sighs> um, we did again, long story, really, really short is I am constantly admitting we don't have all the answers yet. So we're clearly doing something wrong. So we will mix up everything about how we go about investigations. We'll go totally old school and not use any equipment. Then we'll use all the equipment. We are always trying to mix things up. And one of the things that a member of the group, Josh, just came up with is that it was the idea that why don't we let the rooms and the building tell us where we should investigate? You know, let's just go where we're feeling things. And we sort of, we would set up all the equipment and then take like five or 10 minutes to sort of decompress to basically say, okay, you know what, when I get home, I got to pay the mortgage. I got to do this. I got to, but right now I'm just going to try to get in touch with whatever is in this building and just chill out. And we started getting really good results, but what we started getting was what we call like audio doppelgangers, which make no sense. And a lot of what we do on investigations, I try to steer away from digital voice recorders because there's no tape. There's nothing to really go back and analyze. And plus you could be sucking signals from all over the place. So we try to stay away from wireless. So we use studio microphones that are hardwired into a mixing board and a whole nine yards. We were doing an investigation where um, it was a commercial building where the gentleman in this very small office said that a woman would come up and like talk behind him. And when he turned around, there was nobody there. So I'm sitting there and Wendy is sitting in basically if there was an office door right behind me, which was open, which led out to a hallway across the hallway was at one of those fire doors, which was closed. And then that opened to a very large like conference center. And Wendy was always at, was at the end there, like looking at the monitors, that sort of thing. About 10, 15 minutes go by. And I did have his backup, a digital voice recorder in front of me. We have to, and sorry if I'm going too fast, but um, we label any noise that we hear because we don't actually know who's going to go back, which person in the group. And so if we move a chair and it creaks and we don't call that out, you know, it could be considered ghostly, if you will. So As I'm sitting there, I hear Wendy laugh in the other room. And I say it on the recorder, that's Wendy laughing in the other room. Time passes, nothing is really happening. I go back over there, you know, open the doors, go all the way through and she's sitting there looking at the monitors. And I said, I don't think there's anything going on. And she said, no, the other group who was in the other part of the building, 
there's nothing going on with them either. And I said, what, what did you laugh at? And she's like, I didn't laugh. And I'm like, no, I, I, I did. I heard you laugh. And she's like, I didn't laugh. So I'm like, no, I know you did. And so I went back to my digital recorder and hit play on it. And you hear absolutely nothing. And then you hear me go, that's Wendy laughing in the other room. So then I was like, no, I know that I heard you. And then I thought, okay, I had maybe two feet behind me. So at two feet, technically also closer to Wendy, a studio microphone that was facing towards me. So we pulled that up and you also hear me say that's Wendy laughing in the, in the other room. But right before that, you hear this very loud cackling noise that is not on any other recorder except that one. And it sounded like a Wendy, but it also sounded not like a happy Wendy. It wasn't a nice laugh. We made Wendy laugh from where she was and see if anything, the recorders could pick it up. They couldn't. We had that recording analyzed, not to say, is this a ghost? Cause I don't know what a ghost is, but we asked, what can you make out from this? the noise fell within the range of a human voice. It was similar to Wendy, but lacked enough telltale characteristics that it wasn't Wendy. So something Wendy-like laughed and only, and so that again, two bottle conversation, why is it doing that if it is a ghost? And why is it kind of disguising itself as Wendy? Yeah, I, I don't know. So th those, but those are the things that keep you going. <laughs> You're like, where do they yeah. come from? I never, I'm, ever want to experience that ever. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You would be surprised though, if for no other, because that's the funny thing is I gave up being scared of this a long, long time ago, because to me, it's fascinating. And mm -hmm. to, to literally come face to face with something that half the population doesn't think is real it's kind of exciting. There is that fear of the unknown, but I've never felt that a ghost was going to, you know, kick me, punch me, make me write a bad check, you know, something like that. So it's, you would be surprised. I think we need to take you out back when the new normal, whenever that is. Well, you, you'd oh, be, yes. yeah, we'd love that. <laughs> we will go. Yeah, Not when you do know. Here's the thing that I tell oh. people. Here's the only thing that you have to remember. If you go on an investigation with me and at any point you see me run, run. Don't okay. ask questions. Just run. It's probably a bear, but but uh, just run. Well, I've run into said, skunks and raccoons. You had mentioned <laughs> nightmares. Like it seems like sometimes like something looms larger when you've had more time to reflect on it. Like, yes. You're not, you're not necessarily scared when you're seeing it, but like you said, you reflected on it later and found it very disturbing. Like after that revelation, did you have nightmares about it? No, it's, uh, that's a great question, but surprisingly, no. And until uh, the world fell off its axis this year, I didn't really have dreams or nightmares. I have both now, but I don't think that's related to the ghost. But, but no, surprisingly, I don't, when I get, scared like in that instance where i was like i was more freaked out of the unknown aspect of it so it wasn't anything that really kept me up or gave me nightmares or anything like that as i said it's something that i'm like well, what was that where did i go that's something that 
I kind of want to figure out because that, you know, if you could replicate that, that would be be crazy, you know, but it's, yeah. Yeah. You ever tried doing it again? Have you gone back and tried doing it again? Uh, We have. Um, We went back and there is um, Astonishing Legends did a whole four hour episode about that because we got what I I did not realize it was going to be as controversial as it was but we, we went back I stood in the same exact spot and um, there was a moaning noise that came f- right from behind me that mm-hmm. you hear me whip around because and there was nobody there um, unfortunately there were other people in the building that came walking down the opposite end of the hallway and didn't announce themselves, which caused some people in the, in the Astonishing Legends audience to think that we had either faked it or we had mistaken the guy who popped out and frightened everybody as it being them. And neither one of it was true. I, I'm the one who's hesitant to say that that was a ghost because it was so loud and it was right in my ear that I don't, and everybody heard it too. It wasn't more like a, an EVP thing where you hear it afterwards. Everybody heard it in real time. So we, we have tried to replicate things, not only just there, but other instances where we've gotten weird evidence, if you will. We'll go back and try to replicate it if for no other reason to say, well, we've checked all 20 boxes as to what it's not. We're kind of left with it's unknown what it is. Well, we've oh, got nice. a few minutes left. Will you mind sharing with us where uh, our viewers and listeners can find you if they're interested in following up with all of your adventures? Sweet. Yeah. Um, it, it really depends if you're into just the ghosts. I'm at ghostsofohio.org. If you're into ghosts and all sorts of weird things like crybaby bridges or whether Paul McCartney died in a car accident, was replaced <laughs> by a double, um, or what the heck the boy with the boot statue is. Um, that's all at um, my author site, which is strangeandspookyworld.com. Um, and if you just type, it's, I love saying this, if you type Weird Willis into a search engine, <laughs> you'll, you will find me and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of those sort of <laughs> things. If you're into why my cats hate me and want me to go back and leave them alone during the day, you can find that's usually on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah. And the books and the books are all um, if you're uh, most of the state books are available um, at the local libraries, you know, so you don't even have to buy one. But I think usually if you go on the Amazon, they, they normally have the best prices. But the best thing is to come out and see when I give presentations. But unfortunately, I don't know when that's going to be. But that that all of this COVID thing really made me realize the power of a ghost story is actually not only in the telling, but the sharing. Mm-hmm. And so my presentations, I, I show these weird pictures and video and audio. And to me, that's just the best part to kind of get everybody in a room because we might have different opinions on everything else. And I invite skeptics to talk and it, but we can all come together and just share stories. And that to me is what, I think the world needs right now just coming together and just relaxing and scaring the heck out of each other. Yeah. (laughs) 
and and I can vouch for all the books are wonderful. I have read almost all of them, and thank you. Worst times in some cases, and his <laughs> and, and your presentations are some of the best that I've seen in the industry. So man, how much do I owe you for that? Let me. Know. I know, right? <laughs> I, know, I want to see one now. Yeah, yeah I, me too. I, yeah. yeah, they're very good, but because. Uh, like earlier, we get very engrossed in your storytelling there, James. So mm -hmm. uh, shall I uh, share our information? Because I guess this is going to be the end of the show this now. Is, this so. is the outro, yes. This is yes. the outro. Yes. Oh, Thanks for oh. being here. This has been so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's my so pleasure. Any, anytime. Anytime. We need to do a two-bottle night. That, we, those we are the best story. I mean, they, they truly are. I mean, they is when you just sit and and the only thing that I tell people, because we do have our two bottle conversations, is you can't pretend you have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And that's when it, it's fun. I mean, even when we when we have our ghost meetings, when we what we do is I encourage everybody to bring in their ghost evidence. And then what we do is we present it and we fight over it. No, that's this. That's a ghost. And then what I'm looking for at the end is nobody knows what it is. Mm -hmm. So the skeptics in the group can't say, no, it was this. And the true believers can't say, no, it's definitely a ghost. You're just going, I don't know what this is. Those are those nuggets I really like. And those are the ones I could chew on forever. So I yeah, like we'll your group. A two bottle. <laughs> they do peer review research. I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah it, I think you have to do that. And it's made me a lot of enemies in this field because they want, you know, they're like, oh, I heard a knocking noise. It was a ghost. And I'm like, I wish I could do that. It would make my job a lot easier. But, but I, I, again, going back to what I was rambling on about like six hours ago is I, I think you have to admit there's some things that are not real, that are made up. And it's okay to do that. Just focus on the things you can explain because that's the treasure trove to dig into. Totally. Yes. And on that note, social media and... Oh, yes. So on that <laughs> note, everyone, please follow us on Twitter at Sin, Sin Cabinet Curio and Instagram at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities. And please share your hometown haunts. Send them to CincyCuriosities at gmail.com. I'm Kat Cloco. This is everyone else. And keep it spooky. Have a wonderful Bye. Thanksgiving in America. Bye. Thanks, James. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was a blast. This was Thank so fun.